Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. And after this weekend's action, you'd be a fool to predict how the top flight table will look come the end of the season. The Gunners showed guts while City stuttered in the title race. Manchester United marched on as Tottenham finally turned up. Newcastle United have flatlined whilst there's a heartbeat at Everton again. Prophesizing the Premier League is problematic right now, but there's one thing you can put your money on, and that's the fact that Graham Potter is under pressure. Chelsea losing again on Saturday, and this time to the basement boys, Southampton. Clearly, he's a good manager, but will the Blues keep their bottle with their boss after yet more misery? All of the big top flight stories tackled on today's show, as well as our chance to have a Monday moan. My name's Niall, this is Football Social Daily, and joining me today, a very good morning to Marley Anderson. How's the heartbreak today, Marley, after Nick Pope's red? Morning. Um, just getting to come into terms with the, the fact that we've somehow balls this up. <laughs> the one time you didn't want Nick Pope to be a sweeper keeper, and, and he's forced into it by probably the best dropkick I've seen you know, since a prime Shawn Michaels, he's he's ended up <laughs> coming out and, oh my God, as soon as he was out there, I always get panic attacks about Nick Pope leaving his 18-yard box, but, you know, this weekend of all weekends, you know, it's a three-game ban, whatever it is, but, you know, for it to happen six days before the uh, before the final is um, is typical Newcastle United. And obviously with the twist of, of Dubravka playing for the team, we're about to flip in play in the final, it's... Uh, yeah, if we turn to Carius in hope rather than expectation. <laughs> Loris Carius in a cup final, just what dreams are made of. Uh, and speaking of Loris Carius, of course, a former Liverpool player, and we've got Liverpool fan as well on today's show. James Simpson from the Total Screamers podcast is with us. It's part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How are you doing, James? Very well, mate. Thank you for asking. No problem. Tell us a little bit about the podcast for anyone listening who hasn't checked out the show yet. So Total Screamers have been going for a, for a couple of years now. 
Um, it's semi sort of frequent these days. It used to be much more consistent before my, my baby came. Um, but he oh. seems to take up quite a lot of my, my time and energy now. Uh, but we're still fairly frequent. I think we put out about once a week. Uh, we're always on active on social media as well. So you can follow us at, at Talk Screamers. Um, and we've been going for about two years and uh we've been i think we're one of the early ones getting into the sports social podcast network i think as you were only just sort of putting the network together when we joined so um yeah it's it's going pretty well um but i very much in i very much enjoyed nick pope's red card I can't, I can't <laughs> it's um it's going to be it's some not like of... you bloody needed the help at 2-0 up. I know, and but he was like, here's, here's another helping hand, quite literally. This is this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, Nick, hedge your bets here. You've got a cup final coming in, and uh, you're already 2-0 down. You don't need yeah. to... <laughs> he he headed his bets instead of hedging them, didn't this. he? Trying to throw that salmon dive yeah, exactly. towards the ball. Uh, I love how you've gone from total screamers... Yeah in name to total screamers in nature by now having a young child at home. I think that's probably quite, he quite is, poetic. He is. Screamer by name, screamer by nature. <laughs> Let's move on to this weekend's Premier League action. And we're going to start with a Monday moan, as we always do at the beginning of a week here on Football Social Daily. What has annoyed James and Marley from this weekend's Premier League action? A chance for them to vent their frustrations. There are a few things that have happened this weekend, which I think might have annoyed people. But we'll come to you first, Marley. What is it that's really wound you up over the last couple of days well other than nick pope's uh decision and and the rules being the rules and him getting you know the rules have wound you up that's yeah <laughs> that's quite bloody something rule, rules always wind <laughs> me up yeah um do you know what actually just I, this isn't my getting the sea but the best thing about that whole situation is the fact that when he stands up he tries to kick the ball and just boots kieran trippier <laughs> <laughs> it's the best part it's the best part <laughs> he's just like I don't know if he's frustrated or trying to kick the ball, but Trippier wins it about a second before Nick's, Nick Pope's boot, you know, size 13 boot just comes and hammers him in the in the shin and it just summed up the situation for me. But no, what I'm going to put in the sea is um, is somebody that, that, that wound me up, but nowhere near as much as he clearly wound his manager up. And that is um, Emmy Martinez at, at Aston Villa. Mm. I don't need much of an excuse to not like Emi Martinez. I think he's got one of them egos that a lot of goalkeepers have that just gets on normal people's nerves because he's he's very egocentric and winning the World Cup two months ago is never going to downplay that at all. So if there was ever a goalie who was going to go up for a corner and not seek the approval of his manager before it, it takes such such egotism and, and arrogance to, to do that because who runs 50 yards without going am, am I alright uh, am, am I alright to do this like you've got to you've got to actively ignore your manager because there's no way as soon as Martinez is going up for that corner there's no way Emery's not shouting at him and shouting saying no 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 stop stay back you know so he's got he's gone up there the best thing is he gets absolutely no the ball just floats over his head <laughs> so he's completely not involved at all um, and I think it's, it's Fabio Vieira picks it up, and you know from then on you've got a Martinelli running running through on goal, and uh, and they concede, which which is exactly what uh, Martinez's actions deserve. But the irony of that, and also him, um, I mean he was unlucky with with Jorginho's goal, of course, but it was kind of funny to, <laughs> to take him down a peg a peg or two by watching him dive and think, oh, you know that's gone over the bar, and then donk hits him on the back of the head. And, uh, and in it goes, which was kind of funny. So, yeah, not everything's all 
smelling of roses and, and everything works out in your life, Emmy. You know, sometimes you play for Aston Villa and things are a bit crap. Do you know the weird thing about that, James, I thought was it's not like Aston Villa are fighting for anything right now. Like it's it's not like they're in a massive relegation scrap where they needed the points against Arsenal. Obviously they were in the lead and they probably will be disappointed that they didn't hold on to get anything out of the game. It wasn't even like Martinez needed to go up. No, it's an act of desperation, isn't it? When you when you send your keeper up as last chance saloon, if this doesn't go in then it's all over. And uh, it was a perfect excuse for, for Emery to dig him out in the post-match as well and just scapegoat him for the... <laughs> for the they spent the full post-match talking about how um, he never asked Emmy Martinez to go up and uh, for the good of his career he won't do it again or something along those lines, um, which I, I, I actually quite enjoyed. Um, because he is... He is I, I can see why the Villa fans like love him to death. They love you know how good he is at penalties and and you know how his presence and stuff like that and how they do have a World Cup winner, which is... You know, quite ludicrous to be honest. Um, so I see why they like them, but I, I, I couldn't stand to play against that guy. Um, he's just, he's just full of this sort of. I've won a World Cup. I am the man, and you know, quickly humbled by a, a fairly straightforward Arsenal counter attack that accomplishes putting the game to the death. This is something I put in the sea maybe a year and a half ago, and that's goalkeepers wearing short sleeves. Just can't get on with it. Sorry. Joe Hart used to do it. Pickford, I think, does it. Ramsdale does it. And, you know, two goalkeepers wearing short sleeves in February have had their comeuppance now. Nick Pope and Emmy Martinez have both had to pay the price. (laughs) Pope can't wear long sleeves because, I mean, you'd have to borrow a kit off one of them wacky inflatable arm tube guys. That's the only only material. You'd have to cut a sleeve off another kit and stitch it on. (laughs) The elbow pads are up his biceps. It's that short for him and reaches reaches his mid-wrist. Those Cameroon vests that they wore all those years ago, there must be some sleeves from them knocking around somewhere. They could Mm. just stitch on instead. But he could take Loris Carius and Dubravka's sleeves and just leave them in tank tops <laughs> on the sideline, make stitching <laughs> together. <laughs> okay, well, Emmy Martinez is going in the sea. That's Marley's gripe from the weekend. I'm going to jump in now and go with mine. Uh, I've got two, but I couldn't decide, so I'll just tell you both and see what you guys think. Um, the Manchester United-Leicester game, any of the players on the pitch called Vout had an absolute shocker. Vout Fass had a stinker for Leicester City. I actually think he's been this, quite a good is this player. The most the, the Premier League game which has featured the most Vouts in Premier League history. There can't has. ever have been more than two. <laughs> has there been any Vouts before these two in the Premier League? And now we've got two at the same time. Um, but yeah, I thought Vout Verkhorst, who has been playing as this number ten uh, in Eric Ten Hag's system recently, albeit it hasn't exactly been effective in terms of contributing assists or goals, but we know Veghorst is very good with his hold-up play. Uh, he showed that again against Leicester, but when he was played through, couldn't finish, had the same situation against Barcelona last Thursday where he was played through, couldn't finish. So um, his finishing left a fair bit to be desired and there was one moment at the end where he was just lying on the ground thinking, what have I got to do to score? And my instant reaction was, put the ball in the net. That's normally what you've got to do to score. It's just the one bit he's not been able to do. Uh, and Vout Fast, his positioning at Old Trafford for uh, the Marcus Rashford goals, I think, was very poor indeed. So those two uh, wound me up, actually, with one of them their lack of finishing and one of them their poor defending. So it wasn't a great day for Vouts in the Premier League. Uh, and the one I think that probably tops that is West Ham. Since when have we got this idea into our head that West Ham are a good team fighting for European football? 
That's never been the case apart from one season, which I think was last season or the season before, where they had a good season, Marley. And now all of a sudden people are saying, well, West Ham have a great squad, which they do. They have a good squad, but they don't deserve to be in a relegation battle. They're absolutely terrible. They gave nothing against Spurs yesterday. I thought Tottenham looked bang average in the first half and yet second half West Ham made it easy for them Song comes off the bench Emerson Royal who we've given pelters on this podcast this season ends up scoring a goal so why is it that everyone thinks West Ham should be fighting for the Europa League spots just because they did it in one season <laughs> Jim goes away on holiday and uh, Niles, Niles sees the chance to savage his team <laughs> it's seen an opening um, it's, it's true though it's true <laughs> I mean, David Moyes comes in, did a great job, but they were relegation candidates True. before that one season where they finished in Europe. And that was was that yeah. not just off the tail end of lockdown where Jesse Lingard came on loan, scored a load of goals. So there was no fans in the stadium. And then yeah. they had a good season the season after. So apart from two seasons, West Ham are not now all of a sudden this European contender. Why should they be? I think it's just the names in the team sheet, isn't it? People see the names in the team sheet and they automatically expect a team to do well. Mm. Um and they are, I have watched a few West Ham games, and they have they've they've been unlucky. They've been on the unlucky side of a few results. I will I will say that, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're in fear of relegation. I think David Moyes will probably do enough to keep them up. But I think at the end of the season, they really need to consider whether David Moyes is going to be the man to take them forward. I think I don't mm. think there are any fear of relegation, so I don't think there's any reason to knee jerk react and get a new manager mid season after the January man transfer window's closed. I think it's about they've got. I look at the player, I mean, they've got Brazil's number 10 playing for them. They've got Skamaka, who's a very, very high-rated uh, rated player over in Italy. Um, lots of players that get in many different sides in the Premier League, but they're, they're mm. nowhere near the level they should be achieving with the, with the levels of players they've got, I don't think. Yeah, I'd agree. I think they've got really good players, Marley. I think James is right, they do. But they're just making the same mistakes. They can't get it going. And, and whether that falls on the head of David Moyes, who knows? But they're... In the relegation zone now, after that defeat to Tottenham, they've slipped into 18th, and now they're they're a point from safety. Yeah, I think um, they've got enough to stay up. You know, they could probably field, you know, any of any of the sort of best 15 players, and you would say like that 11's gonna gonna win a game. You know, there's there's plenty of talent there. Bowen, Antonio, you know, can score your goals. You're hoping Paqueta can can click at some point. I don't think he's been brilliant so far, but you know, I think just think it's, the defending was was terrible against um, against Spurs, especially in that second half. You know, Aguirre's been really good um, so far this season. Uh, wasn't good at the uh, the weekend. Kera somehow didn't, you know, the, doesn't get done for that handball. Where <laughs> I mean, I know it's a great touch. And, <laughs> great touch. <laughs> It, it, was the be- it was the best first touch West Ham had all, all afternoon, to be honest, wasn't it? But yes, yeah, I don't know. It's I, th- I, th- I do think they've gone stale under under David Moyes now, and I think you're seeing the the most average sort of uh, part of West Ham. Like at the worst, they're they're terrible, but you know at the best, there's there's good there's talent in that squad. There's goals, there's creativity. There's you know the best, probably one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. Um, mm. But I think it just needs freshening up now, and I think somebody needs to come in and and um, and take them in a different direction. Give them just give, give them a little boost of, of something new, and you know, Moyes Moyes won't change. Moyes will do the same things every week. Um, mm. You know, he'll he'll probably pick most of the same players. I can imagine his training's the same every week, and 
that's fine when you're in disarray and you you struggle in at the bottom of the league because you come in and it, it gives you some sort of stability and you know what you're doing and you know your job on a on a Saturday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whatever. But when you're trying to get back to previous heights, I think it he's not quite the man to to take you there. But I think he's just served his time at West Ham, in my opinion. It's time to you know in the, in the summer maybe go for go for someone else if you get there. But you know I think a lot of fans want. Uh, want him out quicker and they can go in a different direction with somebody else. Um, but who that is, is is anyone's guess, really. I'm not personally saying I want David Moyes gone because that's not my opinion at all. My opinion and what I want to throw in the sea is the fact that people seem to think West Ham should be competing for European football. Do not understand that whatsoever. They've got good players, but they've only done it once or twice. It's not like people have been saying Aston Villa should be competing for Europe this season. No one ever said that at the start of the campaign. Right, James, what's you, what are you going to throw in the sea then? Manchester United. Get in the sea. Get in the sea. <laughs> I'm sick of the good form of Manchester United. Um, it really, it's really starting to get on my nerves. Uh, I watched them uh, against Leicester. They look great. Marcus Rashford looks as if he just can't miss. He just cannot miss. I, like The belief he has in himself right now, post-surgery, post these, these, he had a really bad back injury, had some knee, knee surgery as well. Um, you sort of seen that player of the... the you know, we expected to see. Uh, sort of cast my mind back to about maybe season seventeen and eighteen, where he was really. Uh, I remember watching at Liverpool and he absolutely tore us apart. Um, and he is kind of becoming that player again. And I'm actually reluctantly starting to believe that Eric Ten Hag is probably the best signing Manchester United have made since Post Ferguson, because he's actually he's actually getting a team coherently put together. And granted, he's, he's from what he's got to work with, he's got obviously white white cost right. He's not pulling up any trees, but what he does do is playing in this just sort of big man at the end of the pitch to create space. You know, I think that's all he's really asking of of Wekos. Can you get on the pitch? Can you get on the other side of the pitch and, and create space for, for Marcus Rashford, for Sancho when he's playing, for Bruno Fernandes to, to come a little bit deeper and play a pass, you know? Um, so, and even Sabitzer is a decent signing. I think he should have got a red card. I think... Um, He's quite lucky to stay on the pitch after after that high tackle against uh, Vout, um face. And uh, yeah, um, and David De Gea as well. Two big, big saves at the start of the game. And he's been playing out his skin as well. And actually, I, I watched um, Man United against Barcelona in the midweek. And Wekos pretty much played in midfield. Not not even as a 10, like in the centre of midfield as, as maybe more of an 8. So yeah, it's kind of showing a wee bit of versatility there. But I kind of I thought, as soon as Casemiro goes... These these will fall off. These will, these have started getting. And I seen the 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 Leeds result, and I was like, this is the beginning of the of the end. And I just I'm starting to think that's not going to be the case. So that can get in the sea. I'm sick of that. Don't want to be seeing it. <laughs> the only team still left fighting on four fronts. Um, no one said the word quadruple yet, Marley. But Eric Ten Hag, all credit to him. I know he's had a fair bit of money to spend, and there were good players at United before he turned up there. But he's managed to keep them ticking along in. All four competitions this season. Yeah, and if um, if anyone wins four trophies with Vout uh, Veghorst, a six foot six car horse playing number ten, <laughs> you know it's the greatest achievement in managerial history. Um, but you get a stand for that. Did you just call him Vout Carthor? <laughs> yeah. Well, Veghorst. I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember whether it's a car. But from now on, he's getting called Vout Carthor. Carthorse on the podcast because that is. It, I'm sorry, like people saying, like at the weekend, like oh, he's you know he's he's, he's number ten. He's he's um 
he's creating a, he's pulling focus away from uh, from other players and and uh, and causing a nuisance. Uh, he's causing a nuisance to Bruno Fernandez. Bruno Fernandez <laughs> is there going, you are sh- get out of the way. Like so Bruno Fernandez is playing like um, you know the the pass for Rashford's first goal, lovely little outside of the ball, the vision, the the first touch, the execution was all there. Um, and in I think about five or ten minutes before that. Veghorst had a, um, a position where he sort of stumbled into midfield and Garnacho was going through at the speed of light into 30 yards of space and anyone could have just slipped it through. And instead of seeing the pass, he put his foot on it, turned around and gave it to Sabitzer, I think it was, behind him. And I was like, where's where's your vision? Like, how are you in number 10 if you can't see that pass? Like... 80,000 people could see it. There was an audible groan around Old, old Trafford because everyone's seen Garnacho go. <laughs> Garnacho like, threw his hands out like, what is this idiot doing? Like, How can you not see me? Um, he's and... not a man to play a pass forward, is he? No. He's, he's just... probably used to being the sort of hold up the ball, wait for support, play it back to <laughs> someone that can actually maybe play a pass forward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as soon as he gets he looks, he looks like a, a fish out of water in those sort of, in those sort of areas. So it's, it's quite... It's quite interesting. I find it quite interesting. He's adopted this role. Maybe as a social experiment. <laughs> I've got the answer why he didn't see it. Have you ever seen a cart horse? They've always got them the blinkers on the side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's normally what happens. Keep on going right. in a straight line. Well, James is throwing Manchester United into the sea. The Liverpool fans sick of their form at the moment, and they are flying as it stands. They are still in the top four, still in the Europa League, still in the Carabao Cup, and of course the final is on Sunday. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's podcast, a little build-up, a little preview to Newcastle versus Manchester United at Wembley. But next up on today's edition of FSD, we're going to talk about that top four race, the shake-up at the bottom of the table. So much happened in the Premier League this weekend. Where does it leave us lying? We'll do it next after this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. I've got James and Marley with me. And the top four fight is very much on. I said at the top of the show, you'd be an absolute idiot to put any money on the Premier League finishing as it does now. Because to be honest, so much has changed in the last two weeks, let alone what might happen in the next two months as we approach the running towards the end of the Premier League season. Let's start with Arsenal. We've already discussed Emi Martinez and his antics coming up for a corner for Aston Villa, but they left it late to win 
after being behind against Aston Villa, Marley. That is a massive win, particularly with Arsenal kicking off at half 12 on Saturday and Man City kicking off at three. There's a little bit of a dynamic there. We'll come on to City shortly, but Arsenal showing the character of champions, do you think, to come from behind and beat Villa? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was it was a strange game where I think towards the end, you know, I was following it on 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 what people were saying on Twitter and stuff, and it was like everybody was saying like Villa won't hang on to this. It looks like Arsenal are going to get a winner, and that to me just said like how how different Arsenal are now. I think you know you have confidence in them now um, after what they've done this season to to nick a winner and nick a late equaliser if that's what it is and you know, fight to the end, basically. Um, and, yeah, I don't know whether that's more of a reflection on Aston Villa, but, you know, I think I think Arsenal are, are starting to turn, not turn a corner, but, like, show a bit of grit. I mean, they needed to win this weekend. You can't you can't go four games without winning a title race uh, and expect to be, you know, to be let off the hook by, by Man City because I think if they had dropped points, City would have would have put seven or eight past Nottingham Forest as a, as a statement. Um, but because they won, I think it it probably did play into the psyche of of um, of Man City in, in the three o'clock kickoff, and they've thought, well, you know, we have to get this over the line, we have to capitalise, and and they probably tried a bit too hard against um, against Nottingham Forest, and and Forest ended up getting a draw out of it. So yeah, I think um, Arsenal are starting to show a bit of grit and determination, and and they'll need to as well because it's only going to get harder from from now to the end of the season. There's going to be better teams than Aston Villa. Uh, turn up to play them every week, determined to uh, stick a spanner in the in the works, sort of thing. Marley's right, though, isn't he, James? Big win to kind of set the winning streak going again, because as he says, you know, you can't lose three or draw four or whatever in a title race and expect someone like Manchester City not to eat up the ground behind you. Absolutely, you can expect like pre-match going into this. Obviously, the opposition managed by former Arsenal manager and I Emery could almost written in the stars that he would be the one to kind of you know, dampen title hopes for them. But Arsenal stayed together. And I think the important thing is, is Arsenal conceded first and you think, oh, dear me, is this the beginning or the end of this? That's good run of form from Arsenal. But they, to be fair to them, they, they stayed together. They um, they played this with the usual attack and intent. They weren't rushing things and, and, and things like that. I think there was obviously a few big chances that Arsenal missed and you maybe think, is it, is it actually not going to be their day today? Um, but getting over the line is the important thing. That's that's what champions need to do. They need to get over the line in these difficult fixtures. Um, and uh, the, the key thing for me was the rotation. At some point, this Arsenal side had to rotate, had to rotate because they can't they can't play the same eleven players for for the full thirty eight games of the season. You know, at certain points, especially Martinelli is a, a player I was noticing his form was starting to drop just for the sheer amount of minutes he was getting. And he actually comes on and, and, and does impact the game later on, as we know. Um, but Having players like Trossard, who I think many Arsenal fans were actually disappointed to get because they were linked to Mudrik, because a lot of people consider as a much more exciting player. But I think maybe Trossard, in the, in the cold light of day, is, is maybe the better signing. He's, he's a man that's played in the Premier League, he's played on that side where they needed a wee bit of depth. Um, and he's come on, he's actually he's, he's, he's impacted games positively since he's joined. And Jorginho as well, who had a, a stormer of a game. Again, many Arsenal fans disappointed with that signing because Caicedo was the, was the man they wanted. Um, he even linked himself away on an Instagram post, uh, which which was pretty funny. I still quite enjoy that. Um, but Jorginho played a storm in a game, very very like steady in midfield, exactly the player they need to come in, in in the absence of party, because they needed to fill that gap in January. I think I, don't, I think if they don't fill the party gap in January, then then a lot of those hopes kind of 
die a slow death, I think. But they're staying together. I mean, it's it's a difficult one when you're racing against Man City. Obviously, as a Liverpool support, I've followed that for, for many seasons. I think in the last five seasons, two occasions where Liverpool fall short of a point. Um, they're getting it. So it's just, I think it's a pressure just having to be great every week, win every single week to, to keep that gap. Um, but Manchester City aren't their, their usual selves, to be honest. Um, and I'm not one of these that's going to jump in the, the bandwagon and say it's Haaland's fault. I'm not, not going to play, not going to blame him because I think he is. He's, he's, a, he's a tremendous player. I think it comes in and a lot. I think it's a lot of smaller contributing factors that maybe Arsenal don't have around them just now. Arsenal have a lot of excitement around them, whereas City have a bit of a cloud hanging over them, and we all know why. <laughs> Let's talk about Manchester City now then. Obviously, massive win for Arsenal in the context of the title race. I agree with what you say about Jorginho, that much-needed experience that he brings as well. What a goal. And I know it came off the back of Martinez's head, but some hit in the first place, I think. But Man City couldn't get the job done against Nottingham Forest. And James mentions Erling Haaland. Not often he misses chances, Marley, but from five yards out, he couldn't finish. And it might have cost Manchester City two points. Yeah, Valverkos would have stuck that away, wouldn't he? Quite easily. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, these things happen, you know. Um, I think the, I don't know, the the chance was, look, it was an easy chance, can't can't lie there. But I think he he just gets a bit more rushed um, than, than he thinks and he gets underneath it and over it goes, and if he has that finish another hundred times, he puts it in the other ninety-nine times, and and Nottingham Forest get beat with their you know twenty-two percent possession and, and one shot on target or whatever it was, <laughs> and you know that happens. But Forest winner, Forest, uh, Forest equaliser was was a fantastic goal. You know the way they passed it round was was superb. So um, yeah, the uh, you see that you see things like this happening all the time. It's it's the one thing that that ruins your accumulator, isn't it? And you look at the stats. And you go, how the hell did my, you know, fiver not return me a few hundred quid for the uh, for the weekend there with with those stats against that club? But it just these things happen in football, and you know, it's uh, I don't think City did much wrong um, other than just bad luck and, and bad finishing at bad times. And you know, like I say, you play that game another hundred times, you win it every other time. But yes, yeah, that's the Premier League for you, and that's why people love it. Here's how the top four looks then in the top flight. Arsenal stay top after 23 games, 54 points. They've played one game more than Manchester City, who are two points back on 52. Manchester United stay third with that win over Leicester City. And Tottenham move above Newcastle United, who lost just their second game of the season again to Liverpool. They dropped to fifth, whilst Tottenham moved to fourth. So just on Spurs before we move on, Marley. I mean, is that a turning point for them now, do you think? The fact that they've, you know managed to sneak back into the top four um no <laughs> no because Spurs have just done the same all season they've just had no consistency it's all like they win they win one week and they get the the wind in the sails a bit and then they they sort of lose a simple one the next week and it's been false dawn after false dawn so far for them and the biggest thing I'm a bit wary of is uh is Conte not coming back because every time Stellini's on the uh, touchline, they win. And every time Conte's there, they they look a bit a bit more vulnerable. So it's um, yeah. Do you think what it is though? Because Jim was talking about this last week ahead of West Ham Spurs, and he says, "I don't know how Spurs are in the top four, but looking at the table, your club Newcastle have lost just twice. 
the latest of which at the weekend, but you've drawn 11 games, mm. whereas Spurs have only drawn three and lost eight. So Spurs have lost six more games, but I guess if you win, lose, win, you get more points than if you win, draw, draw. So I guess it's one of those things. That's probably why they're they're above Newcastle at the moment, despite the fact that they've lost more games. Yeah, and and also defeats, you know, defeats um, very much lurch the fan base into oh god, where's this going in the future? Whereas a draw, even if it's a terrible draw that you should have won, you don't overanalyze it too much. Well, so Newcastle have drawn eleven games this season, twelve, eleven or twelve games this season. And no one's going, oh, we should have won those games. And you sort of get to the end of the season and go, oh, if we'd have won those games, we'd have been top or whatever. But I think with defeats, it's so much more of a um, a kick in because, you know, you're meant to win. You, you Spurs, you're meant to win every week. You've got Conte, you've got Kane, you've got Son, you've got Kulisevsky and all these, all these quality players. And, and when you lose to somebody you shouldn't lose to when you lose to Leicester 4-1 you know yeah you've you know you've you've made a a massive cock up but it's you're only missing out on one more point than if you draw and you know as as the table suggests you know they're above Newcastle having having lost what six six games six to two or six more games or whatever it was so you know it's it's not as bad as as football fans as tribalistic as they are tend to to over overblow things a bit uh, at times and Spurs are a, a typical fan base that do that. Okay, Tottenham move up to fourth, Newcastle fifth at the other end of the table, massive win for Everton over Leeds United. They put Leeds into 19th place whilst lifting themselves out of the relegation zone. They're now a point clear of safety. Uh, Bournemouth picked up a really important result as well, but they uh, are still teetering on the edge, 17th position. Southampton beating Chelsea, yet they remain rock bottom. It's all shuffling down there, James. West Ham have dropped in as well by virtue of their defeat to Spurs. I mean, it's hard to tell at this point who's getting sucked into the championship next season, isn't it? It is a bit. And I think Everton will be rubbing their hands at the other ones with Sean Dyche in their camp. Uh, and that him as a manager is no longer available to their rivals. Um, and I did back Everton to, to get a result here because they've been at home. Um, Leeds are obviously struggling at the minute. Um, for all their attacking talent, just can't seem to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I mean, Southampton getting a much-needed three points. I'm not sure that massively changes their season around. Um, obviously, Jesse Marsh has fallen through. Uh, but they're quite. I think they're backing this um, assistant to, to fill it till the end of the season. And if they stay up, they stay up. If they don't, they don't. I don't think... I don't really back them to stay up, but but we will see. Um, and I think looking around, it, Bournemouth fortunate to get to get the win there again. They absolutely needed the win, and I don't really think that affects Wolves' season. I think Lopetegu is is doing a really really good job of, of lifting Wolves out of that, and I think he was unlucky on this day. And obviously, he is struggling for for goals in his team, and he has to spread those goals amongst his team to, to, to find these results but I don't worry for that if, if you're asking me right now who are my candidates for going down are I think it's going to be um, Southampton, Leeds and, and Bournemouth um, just because I think of all the teams around that area and although it is quite tight I mean even even Forest is sitting 13th they're actually only you know four points off not five points off um, a relegation spot but they've had some very good phone, uh, home form Forest have and, and and I don't think they've lost in eight games at home, four draws, four wins. So that's massive to them. So I think the teams that are 
you know, making their home ground a fortress and they've got maybe better set managers. I thought I'm kind of backing those teams to to get over the line. So I think for just now, yeah, my, my picks would be uh, Southampton, Leeds and Bournemouth because I see them as the, the least stable of those, those clubs around that area. I'd be rubbing my hands together if that's how it finished. Southampton <laughs> and Bournemouth. All you need is Brighton to go down. It would be the perfect trio uh, for me. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's how the bottom of the Premier League table looks. Southampton, then it's Leeds United, then it's West Ham. But as we know, that could all change in the space of just a few days. More Premier League action at the weekend. Carabao Cup action as well. But another game not to look forward to if you're a Chelsea fan, because it has been pretty torrid for them lately. We'll talk about Graham Potter and his struggles at the bridge next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. Final part of today's show. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. And Chelsea are in a bit of turmoil at the moment. Or am I maybe over-exaggerating it because they lost again at the weekend in the Premier League to Southampton, the bottom club in the table. That means it's just three wins in the last 16 games for Graham Potter's side. Just how bad are things for Chelsea at the moment, James? It feels pretty grim at the moment over at Stamford Bridge. It is, it is grim. Um, and people are starting to lose the faith. Chelsea fans in particular are starting to lose the faith in Potter. Um, I'm wondering if it's... If it's the signings in terms of, they've not signed many ready-made players. A lot of the, the players Chelsea have signed are players for the future. Mudrik, um, you know, and and Joe Felix is only twenty-three. Um, even Fofana, who started twenty years old, and um, Gallica, who's now a big presence in midfield, only twenty-two years old as well. And I think young players, young players with the amount of you know ceiling that those. Those players have it are great to have at your club. And Enzo Fernandez again is 22 years old, World Cup winner. Um, but I think young players thrive in settled teams, don't they? They, they thrive with you know good top pros around them and stuff like that. I don't think Jorginho going for 11 million pounds is particularly great business, to be honest, for Chelsea. A Chelsea that kind of need to put the foot on the ball and start grinding out some results here um, and getting into a sort of swinging contest with Southampton isn't isn't the way to do it. And I wonder if. I wonder if he's not got the right player. I mean, he's he's changed the system completely, and he's now he's now playing essentially it's a very a very basic system compared to his you know his back three that cannot step into midfield and, and underlap and overlap. It's it's much more simple the system he's playing now. But I just wonder where he's where he's going to get some consistency. I mean, because he does side. tinker a lot, James, as a manager. You talk about consistency. He but does, he's yeah. the sort of guy who you know Ranieri was called the tinker man all them years ago, but Potter. Very rarely does he play the same team two games in a row. The, the system that he played against Southampton is is miles different from from what, what he actually introduced at Chelsea when he got there. And I think for that Chelsea that he the Chelsea that he adopted, I think he was was a good Chelsea for Graham Potter. I'm not sure this you know sort of six hundred million pounds in, in six months is is to- I know it sounds great on paper, but I don't know if it's totally the right thing for a, a manager that's going to try and build something for five years and over a project because. With those six hundred million pound signings comes immediate pressure for immediate results when you're signing World Cup winning midfielders and and the highest rated pros some of the highest rated prospects in the world. People want that instant sort of snap. It's all working together, um, and it's one of them like we're a team that's all not very used to playing with each other, and they look like they're not used to they're not used to playing with each other. There's there's a lot of occasions that in that match we can spot where there's a run that's not that's not been played through, or there's you know, 
it's just not clicking. Um, I think I don't know if he survives to the end of the season because this is new owners. We don't we don't know what their philosophy is. Is it is it back the manager because they've, they've invested in this manager and you know paid a lot of money to get him and and funded a, a very expensive you know team with a lot of potential or did he take a more Abramovich sort of approach and and we want instant success. We want the biggest names in the game to come in and and deliver immediately. So I think really until one of those things happens, either the end of the season comes or a new manager comes, I'm probably not entirely sure what this ownership's going to going to look like in the next sort of three to four years. I think it's a great point. And I think that whatever Todd Bowley does will set a benchmark for his premiership of Chelsea going forward. Because under Roman Abramovich, we would likely have seen Graham Potter pay for this recent run of form, Marley, with his job. Because that's what Abramovich did. It worked for Chelsea. They won trophies under his ownership by applying that method of when a manager does poorly, sack him and bring someone else in. And, you know, the managers varied from world class to the unknown, the unheard of, you know, the mate. Avram Grant just being one example. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they've they've tried different tactics under Abramovich, but this is Todd Bowley's first stab at football ownership. He's coming to one of the biggest clubs in world football in Chelsea. And yes, there's been a lot of money spent, but is this going to be the benchmark of whether we see a new Chelsea or not? Do you think he might get more time, Graham Potter, under Todd Bowley's ownership than he would have done under Abramovich's? Yeah, I think um, he's... You know, I, I don't think he, he'd be in a job if it was Roman Abramovich sat above him now. And I think Abramovich would have even, even if it was the exact same situation, you know, of Abramovich bringing him in three or four months ago, he'd have probably still said, ah, sorry, it hasn't worked. See you later. But I think what's buying him time, I think, is, is Bowley doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. Because um, I think if there's one thing very, very rich people do is they're very, very stubborn. Um, and they they don't like to admit when they're wrong, and they'll hold on to their mistakes a bit, whether it's losing value on a property they should have sold a couple of years ago or a business they made a wrong decision in. I think it's probably the same with with Bowley now, because he he came in and you know he, he fired Tuchel quickly, arguably too quickly, um, and he, you know he fully bought into the the Potter thing of right. Well, everyone tells me this guy's the best in the best new like upcoming um developing coach in the country so I'm going to have him um and yeah he he desperately doesn't want to admit that he's wrong and and if you do sack him then then he is you know admitting that he was uh, that he made a mistake but I don't think he'll do that I think one interesting thing about this situation is we've seen the media try to kind of fire shots at Graham Potter and get him to get him to nibble basically get him to crack one guy last week asked him if he ever got angry um, and he dealt with it in a very professional way, I think, Graham Potter. Another guy in the press conference after the game yesterday or Saturday said, one fan says you're the worst manager in Chelsea history. Another fan says that you made the team worse and that you're out of your depth and stuff like that. So he knows the pressure's on and he's not an idiot, Graham Potter. He knows the fact that winning three games in 16 when you're a club like Chelsea is just not acceptable form. But I think losing 1-0 to someone like Borussia Dortmund in a two-legged Champions League game is different to losing 1-0 to Southampton, who are bottom of the Premier League table. And I do think that there are kind of caveats to be made here. But when it comes to Chelsea and the way that they've done things for the last 20-odd years... Yes, patience is not something we're used to seeing, but is that something the fans are just going to have to get on board with for the time being? Because, you know, the media are used to asking these sorts of questions to Chelsea managers. And despite the fact Abramovich has gone, that will still continue. As we're seeing, James, 
you know, the fans are expect, expecting wins and they're probably not used to the patient way of doing things because that's not what they've been used to for the last 20 years. So do you think whatever happens, it is just going to be a case of whether the owner holds his bottle and keeps this plan in place with Graham Potter at the helm? I'd be surprised if even Todd Bowley knows what he's going to do, to be honest, or what kind of owner he's going to be. Um, <laughs> it seems, it's, um, you know, I think we made a joke in a podcast that, like, Graham Potter had his notifications on for Fabrizio Romano because he's just having no saying and, and yeah, the players yeah, were coming yeah. in and we're like, oh God, I'm getting, I'm getting Enzo Fernandez. He's coming tomorrow, you know. Um, I, th- I think it's just, it's as, it's as almost as if he's just following the the sort of the hyped up players and that that's the players I want and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and obviously Graham Potter was a manager heavily linked to, to sort of any big job. Um with the, mm. with the great work he did at Swansea and Brighton, um, deservedly so. And I think Brighton, you know, it now appears that there's, there was a lot of people in Brighton that contributed to to the success he had there. You know, the recruiting department at Brighton, I think, is probably the best in the country. I'd, I'd reckon because um, that they're always making profits. They're they're stern on their selling price. Um, they can always find players in and and certain leagues like Matoma for for two million pounds seems like bargain of a century um, so I wonder you know and then they go and get a coach that matches the exact philosophy that, that Potter was trying to to uh, instill in Deserve so I wonder like was there a lot of contributing factors to Potter's success at Brighton and, and a certain structure that he's not getting at Chelsea is he part of the is he entwined in the structure the same way he was in Brighton I wonder what exactly the setup is like behind the scenes at Chelsea because it just doesn't seem coherent it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, to be honest, the, the stuff that they're doing. Um, like 10-year contracts over financial fair play, that could massively backfire. That could massively backfire, you know? Um, and I, I honestly don't know if I, like like I said, Todd Bullion actually knows what he's going to do at the end of the season or what he's going to do next. And maybe the next manager that's that's up and coming, that catches his eye and he, he buys into that before, way before maybe Potter was just about to get it right, you know? So I do wonder. I do wonder. It's, he is. He is. It is like he's playing football manager Todd Bolero. I, I do kind of quite <laughs> quite funny to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers, isn't it? Absolutely mental. But Gary Neville on the Sky Sports yesterday says, no doubt Graham Potter's under pressure, Marley. But Chelsea must hold their nerve. And I was thinking about similar situations where big clubs holding out with managers has paid dividends. And I was thinking the obvious one would be Arteta who, even though he won an FA Cup in his first season at Arsenal, I think that that's sometimes forgotten. No doubt was under loads of pressure. He was being called for by the fans to lose his job. The media were putting pressure on him. He was losing games. I mean, they lost 5-0 to Manchester City last season. And, you know, when you're a club like Arsenal, and even if it's against Man City, you lose a game by that scoreline, the chances are your job's going to be at risk. Uh, But then I was thinking, is Graham Potter going to fall into that category? Arsenal stuck with Arteta and it's worked out for them so far this season. But... Arsenal never spent half a billion pound on players. Do you think that's the differentiator here, that, that they've spent so much on players, so therefore, you know, it's not, you can't really draw parallels with someone like Arteta because Arteta was working with a group of players who were already there, whereas Graham Potter, the Chelsea he came into, is now totally different to the Chelsea he's got now because of the amount of signings that have been made. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very unique job and um, the... There's always, I say the same thing about about people going to to new jobs, um, and it's that when 
I think when when an unproven manager who everyone knows is a good manager goes to a big big club with big egos and big personalities and big expectations, I don't know. I see it a lot of the time where they don't get on board with the manager. They don't give him as much instant respect. Like if Carlo Ancelotti walked into Chelsea, he'd have the instant respect of every player in there. And when Graham Potter goes in and he's he's got all these you know players that have done all sorts of things in their life. Um, in their career, I just don't think he commands that instant respect. And then when you don't win games quickly, it's hard to get that respect because you know whatever this new guy is trying, he doesn't. Um, you know, it's 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 not working. So that puts him on a in a like a, another catch twenty two situation where like even though they've been insanely unlucky, Chelsea. If you watch the games they lose, they create so many chances. Um, Roman Perraud at the weekend getting that one off the line. He could have another hundred goals at that and never get that off the line, but from Sterling's header, yeah. but got absolutely it, it's smashed by a counter attack against Dortmund as well. They just got roasted yeah. by Adeyemi, but they were pretty much in control for that game, yeah. really. And it, it, it's happened with Chelsea's, you know, last four or five defeats. They've been the better team for eighty-five, eighty-five, eighty-eight, eighty-nine minutes, and and they lose it in that one split second, and that's that's why I feel sorry for Potter because I do think he'll get it right in the end, but it's whether he. he, he, he he gets that time or not because, you know, Chelsea pull the trigger and it's just a case of whether Bowley does it or not. But I do feel sorry for him because um, I feel like I feel like Chelsea and Chelsea now and Nottingham Forest are in a similar situation this season because we've seen Forest at the start of the season and they had all these new players coming in in the summer and. Um, Steve Cooper had to work out a plan. He had to work out his best 11. He had to work out a formation, partnerships um, in key areas like centre-back, centre-midfield and, you know, the shape of the attack and stuff. Getting Lingard in, getting Gibbs-White into the same team, um, getting uh, Awani up front and, you know, finding finding little combinations everywhere all, all over the pitch. Chelsea have now got to do that in January because they've signed so many players, you know, Mudrick, Mudieke, um, Felix, Havertz, Mount, Ziyech, Sterling. They all play the same position. So they play in one of those three attacking midfield wing areas type of thing. And he has to sort that out on the fly. He has to sort that out by, by trying to lose, trying to win games, ultimately getting getting pipped in in, in some of them and trying to, to knit it together. And we've seen that, that Cooper has worked that out a little bit at Forest and we're seeing better things at Forest. He has to learn how to manage a new team. And Potters came in and six weeks later, you know, he's having to manage a new team because he's been given all these new shiny players and saying, right, you've got to get the best out of Mudrick, Mudieke, Ziek, Mount, Werner, uh, Werner, Havertz, all these players, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, it's hard because there's an obvious um, reason why, you know, He's he's not doing it for me, and that is because he doesn't know his best team. He probably doesn't know his best formation, and he's trying to work it out. But yeah, I think he should be given time to try and do that. I think there's going to be a lot of outgoings in the summer, and then they can just strip it back to like, right, this is our best twenty-five players, and that's it. You know, we're we're not going into a Champions League game, and everyone's questioning whether Aubameyang should have been in the it been in the squad, and they're wondering where um, is it Badia Sheila that's been been left out of this the new um the, the champions league squad so there's always little caveats and i think they should, uh, should just be given a bit of time and see see how it goes from now to the end of the uh, season 
Patience is the key when it comes to Chelsea. That's the verdict of us here on Football Social Daily. But Chelsea and patience are two things that don't often go together. What will happen? We will wait and see, of course, between now and the end of the season. There'll be loads more Premier League podcasts for you from us here at Football Social Daily. But for today, that is it. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode. Again, podcasts available wherever you get your shows. And of course, on the Sport Social Podcast Network, which James's podcast, Total Screamers, is a part of. You can also find it there as well as wherever you get your podcast also but from myself marley and james that is it for today on fsd we'll catch you next time football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sport social podcast network